This morning I want to talk to you for a few moments about head trash. This, this, this phrase came to me a couple weeks ago and I really wasn't sure what to do with it. But as we get into the word, I need to ask you if you'd be brave enough to answer this question. How many of you have ever had occasion to dig through the trash? I remember some time ago, Deborah and I were living overseas and we had returned home. And I've never really been one to wear jewelry. I, I, don't, I never had a class ring. Uh, I, never, I, I don't even know if I ever wore a mood ring. I remember when they were around, but I don't know if I ever had one, and if I ever put it on, I don't recall. I think really the only ring I ever remember wearing was the band that was put on my finger on our wedding day. And uh, after a time when we, we were back in America and we were itinerating, the Lord told Deborah to buy me a new ring and then supplied the money to do it. And I was pretty amazed. I mean, I, I really, I would have been happy with that little thin thing that I, you know, that was put on my finger on our wedding day. But she had it in her heart and God gave her the money. So I received it as a gift, not only from my wife, but my father. And that made it doubly special. Well, I'd only had it on a few days and it was time to go back to Poland. So we boarded a plane and Somewhere, I don't mean to be gross, but somewhere over the middle of the Atlantic, I had to do what you got to do when you got to do what you do in the lavatory. And so I made my way back to that little torture chamber that they call a bathroom in the, in the airplanes and, and uh, you know, did what you do when you do what you do when you're in that room. And then I left that room, cleaned myself up, and went back to my seat. And after a few moments, I realized I went into that room with something I didn't come out of that room with. And so I ran back to that room looking for the ring that my father and my wife had just given me. And I couldn't find it. I looked in the, on the floor. I looked on that little thing of a countertop there. And I looked everywhere. And in my mind, I thought, oh, man, I hope it didn't go into that blue bath in the belly of the beast. Because if it's in there, it ain't never coming out. And then I saw that right next to the sink when I washed my hands and used the, that, that was the, the waste bin. And in order to get into the waste bin, I had to tear apart the security tape that they used to secure the doors and I didn't want to get arrested, so I went out and asked the stewardess. I said, this is what happened, and I told her that I'd lost my ring. And, and I asked her if uh, she and I together could go through the trash. And she looked at me with no end of the disgusted look on her face and said, if you want to do it, you can do it, but I'm not helping you. And if you've never had occasion to dig through the trash in a toilet room somewhere over the Atlantic, I have a memory y'all can't even relate to. I know once I got into it why she said adamantly, I ain't a helping you. Because there were things in there that a grown man ain't never going to supposed to see. But I went through, and just so you, this is not a sermon about toilet trash. But I had to dig through some things that were unpleasant in the search for something that I considered of a value and a valuable enough to make me do the unpleasantries I had to do in order to retrieve what I wanted to retrieve. 
And I dug all through that trash and didn't find it. And went back to my seat, and I thought Deborah was a few seats away and sound asleep, and I thought, how am I going to tell her this? And after about an hour, some, the, the stewardess came to me and told me somebody had turned it in. It took them that long, I guess, for the conscience to get the better of them and turn it in, and I got my ring back. But the deed had already been done. I'd done, done, gone through the trash. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I want to talk to you this morning about something that's even nastier than toilet room trash, and that's head trash. As unpleasant as it may be, if you and I are ever going to achieve our destiny, we've got to declutter our mind. Because if we have too many things in there, if our head is filled with too much trash, it will result in confusion. And although confusion is considered, listen, confusion ain't nothing new. And some folks consider confusion normal. And I suppose for the unbeliever, it is normal. But for you and I who are partakers of the divine nature, sons and daughters of God, and we have the mind of Christ. How many of you know the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ? Christ wasn't confused. In fact, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. One translation says God is not the God of confusion. You could say it this way, God ain't confused. And he doesn't gender confusion. So if we are confused, it's because we've not decluttered. And confusion, listen, confusion is not... How do I say this? Confusion is not benign. Isn't that the right word? When, when they do a test on you and they find something but it's not dangerous, it's benign, right? Confusion is not benign. We have to understand, listen, please hear me when I say this. Confusion destabilizes the mind. And it makes the mind susceptible to the spirit of fear. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound or stable mind. When confusion is allowed and even entertained, it destabilizes the mind. We can't commit to anything. We don't know which way to go. We don't know where to go, when to go, how to go. We can't commit to a way because we don't know the way. And as it destabilizes our mind, it makes us susceptible to fear. And fear will result in death. Let me give you a definition of confusion. This is out of an 1890 dictionary. You know that I'm fond of dictionaries come, that were printed before 1920. Confusion, a couple different definitions. Please listen to this. Confusion in a general sense is a mixture of several things resulting in disorder. 
as in the confusion of tongues at Babel. Number two, it's a want of order in society or tumult. As in Acts chapter 19, the whole city was filled with confusion. And we already said 1 Corinthians 14, the Bible makes it clear God is not the author of confusion. God is not the source of confusion. God is not the God of confusion. Our God is not a confused God. Number three, confusion can be defined as a blending or confounding, indistinct combination of ideas uh, as opposed to a distinct idea. Number four, it has to do with shame. The psalmist said in Psalm 71, O Lord, let me never be put to confusion. Jeremiah 3 says we lie in shame and our confusion covers us. Number five, confusion can be defined as astonishment, agitation, or distraction of mind. The confused can't focus on anything because they entertain everything. And then lastly, listen to this. It has to do with overthrow defeat, and ruin. Isaiah 45, the makers of idols shall go to confusion together. Confusion, if not decluttered, if we don't dig through the trash of our own mind and verify what saith the Lord concerning the thing that we're... You know, the Bible talks of a place called the Valley of Decision. All of us enter that valley from time to time where we have to make a choice. We have to do this or we have to do that. We have to go stay here or we have to go there. We've got to do something. And when we, when we are in that valley of decision, the enemy loves to muddy the waters. Because let me ask you this. Now, let's just say, how many of you ever been confused? Some of you came here this morning confused. If God is not the author of confusion, who do you suppose is? And why do you suppose that he wants to keep us confused? So that it will paralyze us and render us impotent that, according to the very, what the dictionary said, the last or the final outcome of confusion is to be overthrown or ruined. Listen to this. I wrote this down this morning as I was meditating. Confusion will eventually overthrow our destiny. Defeat our ambitions and ruin our dreams. Because without focus, we make no move. Without focus, we never pull the trigger. Without focus, we can never hit the goal. Paul spoke, he used... He used an example of boxing, and he said he didn't box as one who was just beating the air. Do you remember that? Paul said, I'm not just throwing punches everywhere, but he had a focus. Both the psalmist said it and Paul said it. They talked about one thing. The psalmist said, one thing will I ask of the Lord. That will I seek. Paul said, I haven't obtained yet, but this one thing I do. Too many Christians don't know what the one thing is. 
And because we don't know what the one thing is, we try or attempt everything. And I remember reading a long time ago, I, it says Chinese proverb. I just simply think that means they don't know who actually said it. So it's easy to just say the Chinese said it. It said, if you chase two rabbits, they both get away. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm tired of my rabbits getting away. So I want to focus on decluttering the mind and cleaning out the head trash. Knowing what is it that God called me to do. Because I don't want my destiny to be overthrown. I don't want my ambitions to be defeated. And I don't want my dreams to come to ruin. How about you? One of the things that I wrote down is, listen, confusion turns a hard thing into an impossible thing. There's no denying that those of us who have attempted to live by faith, and, and i got to say something to you, being a Christian and living by faith are not necessarily the same thing. The church world is filled with people who love Christ and who have, committed, who have repented, and I know they'll be in heaven. But repenting and choosing to live by faith are two different things. Most of the church world does not live by faith. And the reason is, is living by faith ain't easy. You've heard me say this so many times. When Paul talked about fighting the good fight of faith, the word he used in the Greek was agon, from which we get the word agony. Paul was saying there's an agonizing aspect to faith. Because sometimes you want to see and you just ain't seeing. You want to know and you just ain't knowing. Living by faith, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Everyone attempts it. Everyone, when they, when they give their lives to Christ, they set out with great zeal. I'm going to live by faith and conquer the world. Then the first time they encounter defeat or rejection... They surrender back to their comfort zone. And that's when they start singing songs about little cabins in the corner of heaven. And won't we be happy over there, over there? And they spend the rest of their life, and you can say amen or oh me to this, but you know it's true. They spend the rest of their life waiting to die. But it's not so for you and I. I'm looking forward to heaven, but I ain't looking forward to death. Truth be told, I ain't even looking forward to the rapture. I want to live my life to the full. I want to accomplish. I mean, granted, listen, if the rapture happens while I'm preaching, I'm not going to go up complaining. But I ain't praying for it to happen either because I want to do everything that he birthed me to do. I want to be satisfied with old age. And then get to heaven and find I'm as good looking there as I am now. And as humble. But the only way you and I are ever going to achieve, please listen to me when I'm, the only way you and I are ever going to achieve our destiny is to declutter the mind and resist as violently and as passionately confusion as we would any other form of darkness. Because confusion is not of God any more than sickness is of God. Confusion is not of God any more than poverty is of God. Confusion is not of God any more than darkness is of God. 
And if we are confused, what we need to do is resubmit ourselves to God and say, Lord, I ain't doing nothing till you tell me what to do. Amen. There is a process by which we can declutter the mind. It is not pleasant. It can be hard. Digging through the trash ain't pleasant. I think especially so when it's the trash of the mind. Because many of us have been conditioned to entertain fantasy. And we don't want to deal with reality. You following me? What I said earlier was that that the, the thing, listen, we're talking about the, the faith being hard. There, the Bible never promises that faith is easy. It never makes such a promise. Walking by faith, you will encounter what the Bible calls trials and testings and storms, hard times, hard places. But what the Bible does promise us is that it will be possible. Everyone say, not easy, but not impossible. What confusion does is it takes that which is hard and makes it impossible. The thing with hard, how do I say this? A hard nut can be cracked. A hard road can be traveled. Hard times can be endured. But the impossible is, well, Impossible. There's a difference between being hard and being impossible. When you're confused as to what to do, it's impossible. But when you know what to do, even if it's hard, it's doable. Because you'll persevere. You'll let patience have its perfect work. And the end result of letting patience... Are y'all here this morning? The end result of letting patience have its perfect work is that you'll be complete and mature and lacking in nothing. But in order to step forward, we've got to do away with confusion, head trash. Go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and we'll get started. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I want to read it to you out of the New American Standard, of course. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. Some translations actually say by this world. Do not be transformed to or by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you see that? Now, understand this, that the word conformed has to do with external pressure. The word transformed, which in the Greek is the word metamorphosis, has to do with internal. When that which is on the inside comes on the outside, that's transformation. But when an external pressure comes and presses you into a mold, that's being conformed. So what the world wants to do is apply enough pressure through the opinions and the voices and the influence of others and conform you to its image. 
every one of us will either be conformed or we will be transformed. If we're giving in to external pressures, then we are being conformed. But if we are heeding that which God placed on the inside and allowing that which is on the inside to come to the outside, that is transformed. Now, Paul tells us what, but he doesn't tell us, or he tells us how here, but he doesn't tell us what. Transformed into what? He tells us how. Be Everyone say this with me. Be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. He tells us how. Renew your mind. But into what? Well, in the entirety of the New Testament, this word is only used twice. So let's go to the other place that it's used and see if he doesn't answer the what. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. You there? It's up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed into the same image. From glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So he tells us in Romans how, he tells us in Corinthians what? What are we being transformed into? The image that we're seeing in the mirror, the glory of God. How? By the renewing of our mind. Into what? The image of God. In fact, this word image is first mentioned in Genesis. Would you turn there with me? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. There, through the process of decluttering the mind, we begin a process of transformation. The transformation is into an image. An image that was once man's, but was lost. How many of you have heard me say this before? That we'll never understand redemption if we don't understand creation. Because what we've been redeemed to is what was lost by sin. You see, the world, when we, when, when we, when, when, When we think that redemption is nothing more than a ticket to heaven, we really don't understand redemption. Because redemption is not just about getting you to heaven. It may surprise you, but God was able to get people to heaven even under the old covenant. It's not about getting you there. It's about getting his kingdom here. And he redeemed us back to the original plan. The plan that he never gave up on. So Paul said, listen, now you've come to Christ. You are a new creature in Christ. It's time to begin a transformation. How, Paul? How do I begin a transformation? You renew your mind. Okay, now what is the process or what is the end result of this transformation? Paul, I want to know. What am I going to turn into, a monarch butterfly or a moonlight moth? You're going to be transformed back into the image of God. Oh, image, I remember that. 
When Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, he mentioned image. Then God said, let us make man in our... Hmm. I'd rather look like God than my daddy. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. See, confusion. See, th- listen, there are so, some people today are so confused. If you've not been paying attention, our politicians, our leaders, the people that we elect to make wise choices are so confused, they can't even decide what party they belong to. People can't decide. Listen, there are some folks so confused, they can't make it a choice as to whether they're a boy or a girl. They can't decide whether they want to be a painter or a plumber. Confusion will rob us of our destiny. It will steal from us our place. And Paul made it clear that the only way that we are going to undergo this transformation... And the word metamorphosis or transformation, it literally means the changing of condition and or place. You see this place in Genesis? That's what we're destined to go back to. As we undergo the process of the renewing of our mind, we find ourselves back in that condition. Was that a lowly condition? Come on now. Was that a victimized condition? It certainly doesn't sound like it to me. Let them rule. Let them have dominion. Let them be in control. It sounds like that's being the head and not the tail. It sounds like that's being over and not beneath. But can I say something to you? One more Holy Ghost meeting ain't going to get you back to that place. Running across the, across the country to where it's reported that there's another revival ain't going to get you back to that place. The anointing ain't going to get you back to that place. These are all things we want. We're not, we're not devaluing the anointing. You know that. You've heard me say it enough. But we've looked for something external to get us there. Can I say this to you? The Bible makes it clear that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We ain't never going to be like the master until we think like the master. Being like Jesus has nothing to do with your dress code or your moral code. It has to do with how you think. And Jesus did not think like a victim. We never find him stressed out or freaking out. and tell, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to listen to this because I am preaching to myself. I need to hear this. Because when you have to make a choice, it seems like it's only natural that we want to explore every avenue. And Deborah and I want to sell this to you because it's all home folk this morning. We have no visitors. Deborah and I spent seven hours driving around this past Friday looking for a new building. 
And when we got home, having found nothing, she said, all we're doing, and I'm gonna, I, I can't remember, she said, basically all we're doing by running into all these dead ends is frustrating ourselves and confusing ourselves. We don't need to search the internet. We need to search our hearts. God is still able to guide his children. But in our age, I mean, confusion has always been here. But in our age, I think it's much more rampant because we have, instead of, when I grew up, we had three television stations. Two, four, and seven. And they shut off at midnight. How many of you remember that? They used to sign off. They don't ever sign off now. And there's not three. There's hundreds. And then there's the internet. The iPhone and the iPad. And the Android. But there's, so, there's millions, literally millions of voices crying out for our attention. And when you Google something, you go on, you're looking for an expert, and you find there's not two or three experts in this field. There's 2,000. And all of them declare themselves to be the voice that needs to be listened to. And the more you read, the more confused you get. Is salt good for you or bad for you? Should we eat eggs or not eat eggs? Is it two cups of coffee or two dozen cups of coffee? I don't know anymore. If we listen to too many voices, we get confused. We go to people who have never walked a spiritual journey asking them how to walk by faith. One thing I learned early on is you never go to a fool and ask for wisdom. You don't go to somebody who's been married five times and ask them for marriage advice. And yet, listen, saints do it all the time. We want to know how to follow God, and so we go ask advice of somebody who ain't never taken a step of faith in their life. We need to be careful who we ask advice of. When I want to know how to follow God, I go to someone who's done it. Regardless of what their title is. The only way we're ever going to get back to this is by the renewing of our mind. So what does renewing have to do with? The word renew literally means to renovate. Listen to this. Is this okay this morning? It means to restore to the first state after decay, destruction, depravation. I can't even say it this morning. Deprivation. That's what I was looking for. Deprivation. It's not new construction. It's reconstruction. And if any of you have ever been involved in reconstruction, you know sometimes construction's easier. It ain't easy and it ain't pleasant to dig out the old. I remember when Deborah and I first came home from the mission field and we were living in a little craftsman-style home that we were renting in Sepulpin. I wanted a house, and so a friend of mine had a house that he had been renting and it was about to go into foreclosure and we could pick it up just by taking over the payments. And I thought, well, praise the Lord, we'll do it. What I didn't know was that when he was renting it out, he was renting it out to a guy that had four or five, five, Rottweilers. 
And they all lived in the house. Shalababa. I had to tear up that carpet. It rivaled the transatlantic flight. It was nasty. Deborah wouldn't go into the house. But I was trying to renovate it. If we are ever going to get back to that original condition and take on the image of our master, we are going to have to put on the gloves, put on the mask, dig deep into our mind and uproot and remove and renovate those things that have been lodged. And some of them have been lodged so long that we think they're part of our identity. You see, there are some people that they see themselves as a loser. They see themselves as the victim because that imagination, that vain imagination has been so long implanted, it's taken root, and they think that that lie is part of their identity. And uprooting something that has taken a deep root ain't easy. But how many of you want to get back to that? How many of you want to walk through this life with the image of the master? then we have got to renovate our mind. We can no longer entertain, and nor can we house it. Can I say it this way? I'm going to say it this way. We can't entertain every crappy idea. If it ain't of God, we have got to remove it. We've got to look closely and dig deep and say, that idea was not born of God. And as we declutter, we'll find that confusion gives way. Now, the thing with our mind that's different than any other renovation project is any other renovation project, you know, you can renovate a house and leave it empty. You can't leave your mind empty. So it's slightly different in the renewing of the mind. How do you renew the mind? Not, listen to me, not by displacement, but by replacement in other words you have got to replace the lie you have got to replace the deception the only way in your mind you're going to displace is by replacing you've got to drive out the lie with the truth y'all following me this morning it means that we need to clean out all the head trash Eliminate the chaos and find that one thought, that one plan, that one idea that is of God. That one thing you were born for. You may have been born to sing one song. What a tragedy if you sing a thousand and not that one. There is one idea. One calling. There is something, one thing that God placed in you that is preeminent over every other thing. And that's the thing that we ought to live and die for. That's what Paul was saying. You know, Paul, part of his secret, he made it plain. He said, I forget about certain things. So that I can press on to the one thing. Because if I'm not willing to forget about all those things, I'll never obtain that one thing. And that one thing is what I'm willing to lay my... What hill are we willing to die for? 
What one thing are we willing? Hmm. Paul told us that God is not the author of confusion or the God of confusion. So if it's not of God, then what do we do with it? Don't we resist it? We don't entertain it. I don't know about you, but I'm through losing sleep to something that ain't of God. I'm through. The other night, I, I had to, I had to, I literally had to get so I had to, I had to get violent with myself because confusion was trying to rob my sleep. Confusion will do that. Confusion will keep you so bewildered. You don't know what to do. And because you don't know what to do, you don't do nothing. We need to. Listen, there is a process. God has not left us to be a victim to the enemy's whims and all these voices. He said, my sheep know my voice. And another they will not follow. So we just need to go through the process. We need, in Psalm 119, they're asked the question. Go ahead and put that up, Gloria. How will a young man keep his way pure? Remove that word young and just ask yourself, how will any man keep his way pure? By doing it according to the word. Your way will stay pure when you simply do what he has told you to do. And I, I can only speak for me, but I'm sure it's the same. More often than not, I know what to do, but it's just what I know what to do got buried underneath what I could do. You could do this, you could do that, you could do this, you could do the other thing. And if we would simply tune in our ears and just say, Lord, what is that thing you told? And it, sometimes it takes some effort. Paul told Timothy to remember or recall the prophetic words that had gone on before him. Is this okay this morning? So that by them, by those things that God had told you to do, you'd be able to war a good warfare, fight a good fight. But I'm convinced that what most of us do, because we so easily lose, what we get up in a prayer line and God gives us a prophetic utterance, and the first time we have a, a, a storm, we forget about it. I was just saying something that us word of faith people, especially Rhema people, it seems to me I can only speak from my own camp. Something that we're fond of doing is putting a date stamp on the, on the promises of God. And if it doesn't come to pass in 31 days, 2 hours, and 16 minutes, well, it must have been pizza. Hmm? We ought to be wise enough and mature enough to understand when God's talking and when pizza's talking. You'll know it's God because in the mouths of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And if you've heard it from more than, are you, is this okay this morning? Is this, can we go to Bible school a little bit? If you've heard it from more than one source and they're not working together to fool you, but you've heard it from independent sources saying the same thing, then don't be quick to forget that. So that when you encounter that storm or that trial, you recall the prophetic word. You recall the word. When the doctor says you're going to die with the sickness, you recall the word. If he's given you, whether it's a rhema word or logos word, if he's given you a promise that you're going to do a certain thing and you ain't done it yet, then it ain't time to die. Hmm? 
But when we forget what he has said, we become confused. And then we think, well, maybe it is over. Maybe it is time. I thought God was going to do this. I thought he was going to do that. My eyes strained to see it, but I ain't seeing nothing, so maybe I was wrong. And you just, you just surrender to the darkness and go away, and your life is lost to the pages of history. You live in obscurity, and your dream dies with you. But there is another way. And the other way is we declutter all that head trash and we remember and we recall that one thing that God told us to do. And I said it to you earlier and I'm, gonna, I'm trying to bring this to a close. But recall, if you would, the words of Oral Roberts. Find out what the will of God is. Then confer no more with flesh and blood. Saints, please hear, always be careful who you ask advice of. Always be careful. Qualify the voices in your life. If they ain't never done it. I, I had a guy one time, he, he called me up and, and he told me he wanted to come to real life church and he wanted to train my leaders and he was going to do all these things. And I, I told him, I, I won't say his name. I just told him, I, I've known him. I said, dude, I read the same books you've read. There ain't nothing you can teach I can't teach. And I knew his history. He ain't never done nothing. He's a coach. If I listen, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna submit my destiny to be to someone, it's gonna be someone who's done what I'm aspiring to do. I want someone who's got their hands dirty. I want someone who bears on their body the scars, the marks of a battle. I want to talk to someone who's been through it. And they can tell me how to, not theoretical. I want someone who's going to help me cut through the clutter, not add to it. Amen? There is a process. We renew our mind. In closing, go to Psalm 119, verse 5, 105. 119-105. The Bible says here, for those of you who don't know, and I have been bathing in Psalms 119 for the past couple of weeks. I can't read anything else. I'm just reading one night, and when I get to heaven, I want to just give David a bear hug. He's a brother from another mother. Because I can relate to David. David would say things through Psalms 119. He said, my eyes are straining to see your salvation, Lord. When are you going to do what you said you're going to do? And one part of it, I'm paraphrasing, he said, Lord, you're eternal, but your servant ain't. <laughs> I love it, because that's what I've been saying. You get that, Lord, you're eternal. You got all the time in the world, but I ain't. When are you going to do what you said you're going to do? How many of you can relate? Some of you heard things when you were 18, and now you're 48 or 58, and it ain't come to pass yet. Lord, you're eternal, but I ain't. And David kept saying throughout Psalm 119, thy word, thy word, thy word, thy word, thy word, thy word, thy word. Since I can't see it with my eyes, I'm going to hide myself in your word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Teach me your precepts, Lord, and I'll never stray from the path. Hmm. David says here, your word is a lamp to my feet 
Saints, when you don't know what to do, go to the Word. And let the Word be the final authority. Brother Hagin used to say, just act like the Word is true. Just act like it's true. I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done it. Just say, Father, I'm standing on your word. And I ain't going to be moved. I've done this before. I'm trying to bring it to a close. I've walked across my prayer like this. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Lord, I don't know. If you don't tell me which way to go, I don't know which way to go. You said the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. So either you do it or you're a liar, and I know you ain't a liar, so I know that you're ordering my steps. How do you order my steps? Thy word. Thy word. Thy word. Don't believe evidence. Believe the word. Don't believe false reports. Believe the word. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a what? A light to my path. Listen, there's something about, and I'm bringing this to, when we clear out all the trash, when we clear it all out, when we eliminate every voice but His, then amazing thing takes place. Suddenly, our path grows bright. And whereas just a moment before, it doesn't take a long time. Whereas a moment before it seemed like every end was a dead end and we didn't have any way to go. When we step back into his word and we just act like it's true and we say, Father. It is now as it was then. It's better to obey you than to obey men. And we commit to doing then suddenly our path grows bright and then we'll see here is the way walk in it. And so we put one foot in front of the other. And before long, we are in our wealthy place, our place of abundance, the place where we're doing the thing we were born to do. And I heard T.L. Osborne or T.D. Jakes one time say, he said, you might stumble into it. You might fall into it. (laughs) You might look tattered once you get there. But if you don't stop, the Lord will perfect that which pertains. which pertains to you. Stand to your feet this morning. I don't know if you needed it, but I preached myself back to a place of peace. Men will always be men. There will always be those who tell you it ain't going to happen. It can't happen. You can't do it. But you listen. You don't need to li- you don't need to listen to everyone that has a voice. You don't need to answer every question. You and I, it's okay, listen, to be focused. Some call it fanatical. But just commit yourself to that one thing. 
And you know what? Before you end this life, you will have achieved it. And the world will be a better place because you fulfilled your God-given task. And it ain't over. It doesn't matter how many months or years you think have been wasted. God alone has this unique ability, and I'm speaking to somebody prophetically right now. God alone has a unique ability to restore time, to make up years. He, he, he can do it. I don't know how he does it, but he can make up a decade in a moment. So don't believe the enemy's lie that you've wasted too much time. Some of us give up because we feel like we wasted six months, three months, six years, six decades. Do you know most world-changing ministries didn't even really hit their stride until they were 50? Most didn't. You go back in the Bible days, and man, some of them didn't even, they didn't even incorporate until they were 80. When they were 80, they filled out the incorporation papers with the IRS and launched Moses Ministries. Amen. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, our commitment to you is to declutter the mind. We don't want to entertain a thousand voices. We just want to hear the one voice. And you tell us what to do, Father, and our commitment to you is that we will do it. We will heed the voice of the elder statesman. Find the will of God. Confer no more with flesh and blood. And then fulfill the job at all costs. Lord, I pray right now for every person in this sanctuary and every person that will hear this message by CD or video. Lord, by your spirit, help them. Aid them in decluttering the mind and cleaning out the head trash. Getting rid of all those things that confuse your children. So that we can do the one thing, do it well, and do it as stewards of God. Amen? Amen. Love on someone and you are dismissed to go in the presence of the Lord.